0: This is a BoardWalk Audio podcast. On Comedy Writing. On Comedy Writing.
1: Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode with another former UCB artistic director, but first... The best way to support this show is by going to BoardWalkAudio.com slash OnComedyWriting. Click the Support Our Artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. Our guest this week is Anthony King, a writer on so many great shows like Playing House, both seasons of the Wet Hot American Summer Television Show, Silicon Valley, and many more. He's a guy that works all the time, and he had some really interesting insights, especially about spec scripts. So here is Anthony King. All right, thanks for coming in, Anthony.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Uh, where are you from originally?
2: Originally, well, grew up in North Carolina. Okay. So uh, I was, uh, grew up around Durham, North Carolina.
1: Uh, were you uh, interested in comedy back then?
2: I mean, I, I was always like, uh, in, like, liked comedy, but I don't think I was as big a comedy nerd as like, a lot of people. Um, but, uh, I discovered like theater and, uh, I discovered, uh, short form improv when I was in high school. Uh, there was this thing called comedy sports oh, yeah. that was in, uh, Raleigh, which was near me. And, uh, I started going there a lot. So I kind of got into that. Did, did you uh, perform at all back then? Um, only like doing like musicals and stuff in high school. Yeah. Uh, I didn't do much comedy, but then in college I started doing short form. So
1: what, what musicals did you do?
2: Oh man, so many. Yeah. Uh, the rules. The, the my favorite one of my favorite musicals is a Chorus Line, and we did that my senior year, and I played Zach, the director. So uh, that was pretty fun.
1: Wow, isn't it like a Chorus Line? That's like uh, they're like supposed to be like older, like
2: yeah, they're supposed to be like uh, you know chorus people who are you know go from show to show. Yeah, and have been around. Yeah, that's funny. It that's also funny. has some. Uh, bad language in it and oh, so right. like there's a song that literally the chorus is tits and ass and okay. so for our high school we changed it to this and that this and that. <laughs> that's great
1: that's So funny. uh so uh when you're in high school did you have like an idea of what you wanted to do
2: i by the i mean i went into college pre-med so no oh, wow. <laughs> i was that was because like i knew i wasn't I didn't want to risk trying to be an actor. Like, I knew that was like hard, and uh, it was kind of frowned upon of like, it's impossible to be a successful actor. Um, but in college, I discovered directing, and um, and so I decided to pursue that after college. And I moved to New York. I moved to New York to become a theater director. That was why I moved to New York. So...
1: Were you pre-med because you just thought it was like a safe yeah, choice? Yeah, because it was
2: supposed to be like wow. something that would make money. And then by the middle of my sophomore year, I was like basically about to fail out and uh, I was miserable and depressed. And so I became an English major uh, and then had a great time.
1: Do, do you use any of that pre-med knowledge today? Oh my anything? God,
2: no. I mean, I what I remember is being like, I took calculus and everyone else in the class would like meet up and yeah. do problems together. Maybe it was Calculus 3, actually, I think it was called. Uh, and I was just hated it and didn't yeah. didn't like it. And I was like, I think I don't belong here. Like, these guys are really excited to solve calculus mm. problems. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I hate it. Uh, but you, you were doing comedy sports in in, in college? Yeah, yeah. How, how was that?
2: It was really fun. We, uh, we had our – there was a club in Raleigh, North Carolina, but then they opened a club in Chapel Hill, which is where I went to college, to UNC. And so right off campus, we had our own club, basically. And – I was managing it and uh, it was really fun. Like every weekend, we just had like, did shows all weekend long. Uh,
1: do, you, do you still like short form today at all?
2: I have not done it in probably, yeah. you know, 15 years, but uh, I think it would be weird to do it again. I don't know yeah. if I'd be good at it now that I've done long form. It's funny. It's just a different mindset. Mm-hmm. But
1: do you, uh, So you're in the theater program. Were you writing plays at all?
2: I uh I actually wasn't in the theater program. I just did some plays. They had a lot oh, okay. of like student productions and that kind of thing. Uh, but I um, when I graduated, I wrote a play, uh, and then directed that there, uh, and then after that moved to New York. Oh, okay. so cool. Yeah.
1: Uh, did you, when did you discover like UCB?
2: I had been in New York for a while because I, like I said, I moved to be a theater director, so I was doing that in New York for a couple years, and I met um uh tara copeland who was a U- big ucb person in new york she was on the team mother uh she i met her through a f- uh someone else and she told me like you got to go to ucb it's great and i was and i still put it off for years <laughs> and yeah. then um this guy charlie todd moved to new york who i had done short form with in north carolina and he's the one who dragged me to the theater so i had been in new york probably maybe like three years before i ever got to ucb wow.
1: So you were really just dedicated to the theater stuff. You're, yeah. Were you uh, working on shows and stuff? Yeah,
2: I was like assistant directing off Broadway shows yeah. and like directing regional stuff and stuff around the city. Uh, I started like a theater group company with some friends, and uh, but then once I got to UCB, pretty quickly, I I kind of soured on the directing stuff, and so I pretty mm-hmm. quickly threw myself into UCB. Mm.
1: Do you think, like, having that uh, theater background uh, helped you when you started doing stuff at UCB?
2: I think so. I mean, I think I just brought a different... A lot of people at UCB have never been on stage uh, and don't know anything about what you should do on stage. And so just having that background, like, I started directing a lot of stuff at UCB, uh, like, sketch shows and... things like that. And then pretty quickly, about two years after I got there, they asked me to be the artistic director. Mm -hmm. So I did that. So it all kind of came full circle. Yeah. Uh,
1: in New York. Did you, um, when you went to UCB, did you immediately start taking classes and stuff?
2: Well, I did it backwards. I, Charlie Todd was taking classes and he asked me to just join his practice group, uh, that he had started. And I had never done long form before. So I learned long form in practice groups. Oh, wow. Uh, and then by the time i finally took class, cause I was like, cause I was still directing and that kind of stuff. By the time I finally took class, uh, when I was in my level one, our indie group had won, uh, our way into cage match. Oh, okay. And so we went on like a eight show cage match run while I was in level one. While <laughs> you're in level one. Yeah. <laughs> so crazy. I kind of did it backwards wow. in a weird way.
1: Uh what was like the sketch landscape back then?
2: Oh man, not much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there was I mean obviously the UCB had done sketch and there were little there was a group called Mr. Show, not Mr. Show. Um Oh god, what were they called? Um It was John Daly and Brett Gelman um oh, I'm blanking what Mr. Ass, Mr. Ass. Oh, Mr. That's why I got to mix it with Mr. Show. Uh and they did sketch and there were a couple other little groups um Cowboy and John, which are Curtis Gwynn and John Gimberling and but for the most part there wasn't there were like one person shows and stuff like that, but there wasn't a ton of sketch mm-hmm. uh at that time. Uh it was mostly improv.
1: So uh you became artistic director. Yeah. Uh why why you even want to take that job?
2: Well I had like, <clears throat> like I said I had gone to New York to do theater and one of my like goals I was like maybe when I'm like fifty five I can be the artistic director of like a regional theater and that would be a cool life goal. Uh, and so when they asked me to take over, I was like, oh, or I could do it in my 20s uh, and not a, like make it a comedy theater. Uh, so it was like something. I was already directing a lot of shows, and I would put up a solo show, and I had also put up this show called Gutenberg the Musical that I'd run. And so I was kind of involved in a lot of things anyway mm-hmm. and performing a lot, so it just kind of felt like a, the right step. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun to be able to like try to elevate – the, the theatricality of the stuff that was on stage, that's the theater.
1: theater. Uh, let's talk about that musical real quick. Yeah. So you wrote a musical that's now, like, off, but that was off-Broadway now, is like, everywhere. Yeah, that's right. Uh, how did that, mm-hmm. like, start?
2: Well, it started, the first job I got when I moved to New York uh, was I was an intern at Manhattan Theater Club uh, in their musical theater department. And the whole department was just the guy who ran it and his intern. So I got to, like, have a lot of hands-on experience and I was going to readings of musicals and reading a ton of musicals and most of them are bad. Uh, and so my roommate and I at the time, we decided to submit a fake musical to my boss under fake names. Okay. That was just that we thought was just the dumbest thing we could come up with. So it was about Johann Gutenberg inventing the printing press. <laughs> and it was like a lame is type epic musical about this yeah. thing that is not at all something that should be musicalized. Uh, and we wrote a couple songs and then we kind of were like it'd be funny to do this and so it became this show where we play the guys who've written the show who are idiots and because they can't act they have this table full of trucker hats with the names of all the characters on it and they switch they wear like tons of hats and switch them for these like big epic uh, numbers and uh, they're performing it hoping there's, that a Broadway producer in the audience will take it to Broadway and so we we wrote it and put it up at UCB and then it ran there for little over a year and then uh became part of the music theater festival and this british producer asked us can you make it two acts and i'll take it to london and we were like sure wow Uh, and so we expanded it to two acts and (laughs) then took it to london and it did well and then came back and ran off broadway and we put actors in it and uh stepped out of it and so that it would not just be like a comedy thing but like Mm -hmm. an actual play uh (laughs) and then it uh now it's done everywhere
1: how do you add a whole another? Uh, oh God!
2: Add? So we we actually expanded the middle, right? Uh, okay. Instead of like trying to do because it was already a full story yeah, that makes sense. So we we expanded what could happen in between, <laughs> um, and uh, it was not easy. It was like a lot of like oh my God, what else do we do mm-hmm. to make this an actual a full show? But uh, but there were things like our main character and the villain never met each other in the original. Version. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> so it was like there were some obvious things like yeah. they could meet yeah. <laughs> since they are each other's nemeses. uh but so that there were some things to do. but it was it was such a stupid show, like on purpose, that right. it was like fun to find things to do. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think the the full version is better than just the one act? Oh, yeah, much yeah, better.
2: much, much better. interesting. uh and the the version that it became off Broadway. Is much better than the version that started UCB. Mm. Like we cut some songs and replaced them and things like oh, that. I see. We basically like what was cool about it and how most plays are not written is that because we were performing it every week, anything that didn't get a laugh, we would we would change it. Oh. Uh, because it was like I don't I don't want to yeah. go on stage next week and say that joke again to not getting a laugh. So we would either sometimes we'd be like I think we're messing it up in the way we're doing it, but a lot of times it would just be like let's punch it up. Yeah. Uh, and so it made the show super tight because every single week we were just like, because we were on stage with it, we couldn't be the authors going like, the actor's ruining it. It was right. just like, we were the ones up there. So we, uh, so it got really tight.
1: It's like being in previews forever. Yeah. That's literally I, forever. Cause
2: at yeah. UCB, there's no opening. I mean, there is, but you can still change this stuff. Every right. week. So, uh, so we got to change it for a long time.
1: When you work with a partner on a musical, is it, like, a very, like, I I do the book, you do the music?
2: We did not. We wrote yeah. it all together. Uh, and that show we wrote, like, I don't write this way now, but we literally, like, kind of sat beside each other and wrote line to line, mm-hmm. uh, and even the songs, same way. So it was very, like, in-the-room writing.
1: Uh, how, how do you write now for uh, musical stuff? Uh,
2: I write with the th- – I write TV alone, but the, mm-hmm. I still write some theater with – uh, Scott Brown is his name who I wrote that with mm. and we now kind of each we'll each write scenes and then rewrite each other and then we might do a final pass in the room together but the the That's beginning of, of like the blank page we face alone mm. uh, it's just easier to like when you're trying to figure out what it is to not have to sell every single line <laughs> like Right, yeah. you can make mistakes and go like oh I just discovered this thing all of this else, uh, else is wrong let me go back where yeah. if you have to pitch line by line Sometimes you get stuck. Yeah.
1: What are the uh, hallmarks of a good musical?
2: Oh man, good question. (laughs) I think most musicals are not good. Uh, They're just like cheesy usually, and I and especially comedy on in theater is pretty bad usually, or just very broad and hacky. Um, But uh, that's what the audience likes. But the um, (laughs) I think like you, you just need. You have to have a... Your main character has to have a really huge want, mm-hmm. um, which is not true in a lot of... In like in You can have a movie where the character is just a, a slacker who does nothing, and then stuff happens to them. Right. You know what I mean? But in a musical, that character's want has to really propel, make the story happen, mm. uh, where then that's something that just is unique to musical theater. Uh,
1: so you still write musicals today...
2: Yes, I'm working on a show for Warner Brothers right now. We're taking, oh, wow. turning a uh, Beetlejuice into a musical for Broadway. Oh wow! Yeah, that's incredible. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's really fun. It's been a really, it's been an interesting challenge, but very fun.
1: What What's it like uh, like a working with like a pre- previously existing property? Thing? It's
2: very cool. I mean, a lot of musical theater is is based on things. Right. Um, and uh, what's great is Warner Brothers is not making us. They don't want us to just put the movie on stage. So it's not like we're just paint by numbers and Mm -hmm. putting in songs or whatever, Um, but uh, so it's been really fun to figure out like how to make it a how to make it a mute theater piece and hopefully keep what people like about the movie, but and not destroy it (laughs) (laughs) and make people hate us. We'll see if that we can't control that. Uh, But uh, uh, so it's been that's been the fun thing is like because like Beetlejuice is in that movie for about ten minutes, right? Which people don't remember. They think like he's the star, and it's like he's barely (laughs) in it. Uh, and so there's things like that, that, you know, we're figuring out, but it's been fun.
1: What's like, uh, the difference in like the process, like how it works to write a musical versus like television. I'm I'm sure musicals are much
2: slower. Yeah, much slower. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the TV deadlines are so awesome (laughs) because you just have to go. Uh, yeah, it's, um, and I think also because like we're, we're not writing the songs. We're collaborating with this Australian guy, Eddie perfect. Who's great. Uh, that process is different of like what's told in song and what's not like, I mean, I'm sure in crazy ex girlfriend, they have to deal with that too, but mm-hmm. figuring out all of that, the way you tell the story is a very different thing than TV. Uh,
1: so you became artistic director. Yeah. Uh, what are your like first things that you want to do
2: when I became artistic director? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So what I told the UCB when they hired me was, I think it was my job to take it from clubhouse to like legit thing. Oh, okay. Um and uh and I think I did that for better or ill. Uh the um <laughs> the first thing that I worked on was Herald Knight was the quality wasn't that great. And also that didn't make money because because it wasn't good only students came. Mm. Uh and so I worked really hard to try to get the quality of Herald Knight up. Um and did and then used to be we like uh there's six more nights of the week. and i was like okay so
1: (laughs) what did you do to get the quality up do you like i
2: started cutting people that weren't cutting it and like reconfiguring teams when they when the chemistry was bad and like tried to just make it a little more like this should be super important to Mm -hmm. you and only the you know you can you're still learning obviously but if you aren't showing progress in that learning Mm -hmm. then there's a million people behind you who want those slots right uh and so you shouldn't have those slots Mm -hmm. um And so which some people hated that mentality, uh, but it did raise the quality of teams um, Mm -hmm. and uh, and the night and then, you know, started making money and blah, 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 like all the business side of stuff. And then the same thing, I think, on the theater, on the more written side was like to kind of raise the quality of stuff. And then I started mod teams, which are sketch groups. Uh, house sketch teams at UCB, because we would tell everyone we're an improv and sketch theater, but we had no institutional sketch <laughs> program, yeah. so or performance thing. So I started those, um, which which took a couple of years to get going, but um, I think now are a huge part of the theater.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. What was like uh, that process in starting that? Because obviously it's a huge new thing.
2: Yeah. Like I, I fumbled the ball right out of the gate. The what I started it with is like just. Um, just writers. Uh, And they, and they were told like, you could just ask people to do your sketches that would every month, like just pull people in to do sketches. The idea being that like, if you need an old man, you might not have that on your team. That was the kind of mentality behind it. Uh, And then um, someone who was on one of the teams and was about to move to LA, Elizabeth lame. She had a meeting with me and she said, these will never catch on because there's no face to the teams. And I was like, oh, that's so smart. That's really true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I, st- I gutted it, started and restarted it and made it so there are writers and actors on the teams. And you could be a writer performer, uh, but you had to audition and do both, uh, mm-hmm. which was way more complicated to run, uh, but made the teams much better and made it start to, I think, become what it is.
1: How were the shows when they first started?
2: They were like when they first started, they were really it was kind of hit or miss, yeah. like people figuring out what to do. I think the thing that was tough about it that frustrated me as the artistic director that I never figured out how to crack was that you were incentivized to write new things every month. And so, so many sketches that had potential, no one ever did a second draft of them. Yeah. And so it was, and it was something that was also happening when people would like do a spank, which was to audition for, to put up a full sketch show. I would often give notes and then the person would just never do it again. And so the, the idea of revision was just not. I don't know if it's because it's an improv theater or what, mm-hmm. like inherently, but that people were just like, "My first draft is the best thing that could ever happen." And I'd be like, "Well, yeah. no, it's not." And I'd be like, "Well, then, screw it."
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was
2: a lot of that mentality, which was hard to break through, uh, and I never cracked it.
1: Um, it's you know. a tough thing because, like, uh, especially when you're doing a show, like a mod show, like every month, you kind of feel like you have to have a. It should be new.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so, yeah, I don't know.
2: And it is because there's directors who are like, well, why would I put up the same sketch again? Yeah. Uh, And I would encourage people, like, especially if it's something you could really rewrite and perfect, even if you don't do it in a mod, you could start putting together your own show. Right, yeah. You know, of things. But, and sometimes that that happened a little bit, but it didn't happen as much as I would like it. But I never figured out how to make that part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never, I don't know, it's, it's, it's. I don't know. I still don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know either.
1: Uh, What would you look for in mod packets?
2: Um, I would look for, first of all, like, an interesting uh, comedic idea. Because I was reading, like, three sketches per person. So the first thing I would look for is just, like, is there a spark of, like, oh, that's a fun or interesting idea. And not something that just felt trite or not funny at all (laughs) or just angry, Uh, (laughs) which a lot of like new sketch is often just angry. Uh, And then just the ability to, to craft on the page where it it was clear, there was an understanding of sketch structure to some degree. Mm. Um, Because, you know, if you ever read submissions, most of the submissions you read, no matter what it is, I said, it was the musicals that I used to read when I first got to New York or mod submissions or, if you're a showrunner hiring for your TV show, most of the things in the pile are not good mm-hmm. <laughs> or yeah. just kind of fine, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but when something is good, it jumps out at you. Uh, and so that uh, is what you're kind of looking for is when you first start reading it, you're like, oh, I'm immediately uh, intrigued by this. So that that was kind of what it was. Mm. And
1: how would you decide the actual like the makeups of the team?
2: That was tough. Um I tried to do it like I would keep in mind the type of writer they seemed to be off of their packet mm-hmm. but it was really tough with writers because and this was another thing that I screwed up was that I, it was, I should have when I formed a team I should have gone to the first meeting to just to meet all the writers because there were a lot of writers who were on Mod Night who I never met
1: Oh wow! Okay.
2: <laughs> like I knew who they were I emailed with them like I saw their work uh, but because they weren't on stage there were some people I just never even met yeah. Uh, and that was a failing on my part, but that, uh, but so it was a little tough to pick that. But actors and pairing up like that was a little easier. Mm-hmm.
1: How, and what would you? How would you decide if the team needed to be breaking up? Breaking up?
2: Uh, you just see, you move the mod. You just kind of see how, like month to month, there's either the sketches just feel like they're not working, or the chemistry's not working. Um, I would do I had a lot of like I would talk to the directors of the teams a lot and it's like a lot of that was like someone's just not bringing in enough any work Yeah. you know because someone's kind of like not doing the work mm-hmm. um, or they just keep trying to revise the same sketch that no one likes and they won't write <laughs> something new yeah. or things like that mm-hmm. uh, so there was that was usually why uh, there was turnover uh,
1: and something I was wondering about artistic directors and I talked about this I had Nate Dern on the podcast
2: I oh talked yeah talked this with him um, he uh, followed me in New York. Yeah, he was. Gay. Yeah. Uh,
1: what's like. Um, how do you do your. You come into like ECB as a comedian or as like a performer or stuff. How do you balance that with now being the artistic director?
2: It's tough. Uh, <clears throat> if you. Like, I think if you couldn't perform, if you had to only run the theater, it would be the worst job ever. Yeah. <laughs> but you. Uh, I tried to put in like things to um like cuz i because i performed improv and i was also controlling who was on house teams which is a, you know that's people's whole life like right. you get cut from a house team and people are just devastated and so i i built these like mechanisms of like other people's opinions and things like that so that if i was cutting someone it was never just my opinion because i didn't want anyone to be like well anthony just doesn't like me so like mm-hmm. i can't guess i can't be at ucb it was like no no i can give you when i cut you here are three to five reasons why this just happened things for you to work on. If you want to get back, like all of that stuff. Um, still plenty of people were just like, (laughs) Anthony doesn't like me, but, but at least it wasn't coming from me. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, that was kind of how I tried to balance it. And
1: how would you like, uh, balance like your own performance and stuff and like your career?
2: Um, well my career, I still did things, but it was definitely my job was to get other people jobs and help other people's career. Uh, but while I was doing that, like I wrote a show for CBS and Gutenberg happened. And so there, I had things going on, but, um, it was like, kind of like a lot of people in comedy until you start getting real work, you have a day job. Right. And so running the theater was kind of my day job that mm-hmm. took 12 hours of my day. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but once like, once I was a year or so in, I knew what it was enough that I could do it from anywhere and kind of do it like in the middle of the night if I needed to or whatever. So it was very flexible. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great job. I, I There's a lot about it that I miss and a lot that I don't miss at all. <laughs> but
1: uh, And then you left that job to write at Best Friends Forever. That's right.
2: I got hired on a, show, on a TV show, my first TV – not first TV writing job, but my first real staff job uh, and moved to L.A. So uh,
1: How'd you get that job?
2: So Lennon Parham uh, and I were on our first Herald team together at UCB, Dillinger. And she and Jessica St. Clair, who's another UCB person, they sold the show to NBC, and I submitted to be a writer, sent a script in, and um, got hired.
1: Uh, So that was your first, like, staff writing job, like you said. Yeah. Was that like a crazy transition, a crazy experience?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, I moved my family to LA, and I didn't fully realize at the time that it was only like a ten-week job because it was only six episodes, and so I didn't fully realize that I was like, oh, I just moved for a very short job, (laughs) Uh, but it was the right thing to do. But it was a little scary uh, because it could have been my last job, right? (laughs) So it was a little terrifying, but uh, but it was you know the the right thing to do, and it um, so it was, and the big thing was that it was like all of a sudden was like I didn't have the excuse of everyone else's careers were my focus. Like mm-hmm. it now it was just me that I had to focus on. Yeah. So that was a little terrifying of there are no more excuses if my career doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, yeah, you moved out here for the 10 week show. Yeah. Uh, it didn't get a second season. It did not. So like at this point, are you like ext- wor- really worried? Oh yeah. I'm like, well, yeah.
2: I don't know if I'm going to ever work again. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> luckily the showrunner of that show went on to another show and she hired me to go work on that okay. show, uh, which is this, very bad show called Save Me uh, that starred Anne uh, okay and um, but and the whole thing was a disaster. Oh, how e- so? Oh, it was just an epic disaster on all fronts. Uh, yeah. we and I learned so much from it because it was such a disaster. But <laughs> oh, wow. it was just like the wrong the creator and the showrunner didn't get along, and then the showrunner didn't really know what the show was, and there was no one ever figured out what the show was, and the people were fired and quitting and. It it was just this massive thing that the show restarted in the middle of the season. Um, Wow. Like we filmed, there were 13 episodes and we filmed seven and then the showrunner was fired and the new person they brought in was like, I can't save this. Can I start over from the pilot? And Sony was like, sure. And so they only ever aired the last ones here, but internationally they air all of them. And so,
1: Oh, it doesn't make any sense, it makes no sense at all. <laughs> yeah. If someone's
2: watching them in a row, it's just like, what is happening? It just restarts, and the same actor's doing slightly the same things, but different. It's wow. super, it's really weird. Uh, but it was a crazy disaster that I learned a ton from, so.
1: Yeah, so what did you specifically learn? What'd you say?
2: Um, just like how I think a writer's room really needs a leader who's making decisions, even if they're the wrong decisions. Uh, I think like a group of people and I know this somewhat from directing as well, but that uh, if you if the if the leader won't decide anything, no one can help you. And it's frustrating to be in the role of I'm in this room to help the showrunner, but the showrunner doesn't know what they want. And Mm. so I can't do my job. So I'm failing and everyone's failing. And then it's just a room of people failing. Where if the showrunner goes, we're doing this, everyone can help that. And even if the next day the showrunner goes, I hate that now, let's go this other way, everyone can still do their job. Uh, and so I, I really learned that, that you have to make decisions even if they're the wrong decisions. You can't be afraid uh, of that.
1: <clears throat> so w- when these shows end, what do you do during these breaks? Are you just like just looking for work? or You're hoping
2: that you get hired yeah. somewhere again? Uh, yeah, when I finished *Best Friends Forever*, that we finished in December, <clears throat> and I didn't get a new job until May, mm-hmm. uh, and then that didn't start till August. So I had a very long time when I first moved here. Where yeah. I was, I was just like teaching and that kind of stuff at UCB. But the, I was like, I hope I get another job. And then when *Save Me* ended, it was the same thing of like, I hope another job comes along. But then luckily, I got hired in Broad City. So.
1: Yeah, how did that happen?
2: Um, I had, I knew Abby and, Abby and Alana from New York, and they were going to their second season. Uh, and I, I weirdly just sent them an email to say how much I liked the show. And then they wrote back and were like, would you be interested in writing on it? And I was like, oh, yeah, that would be amazing. Like, I just had never thought about it. So, uh, And so they I sent them materials and stuff, and then they hired me, and I um, went to New York for three months to write for that.
1: Were you using the same uh, spec script that you? No, about?
2: I wrote. That's one thing I did at the end of Save Me as I wrote a new spec script. Okay, um, so that was my like third script, I think. But and that spec script, <clears throat> my first spec script did did a lot for me. But my that second one or the th- one I wrote after Save Me, the second one I wrote out here uh, did really got me a lot of jobs for a mm-hmm. couple years.
1: When when you're writing a script that you that you want to use as a sample, are you trying? What what is the mindset rather than just writing a pilot? So,
2: you're you are writing a pilot, obviously. But the thing that I and this came probably from again from my time reading musicals and also at UCB was I was like I know when the showrunner is going home for the weekend to read ten scripts for staffing, Mm -hmm. that I want my script to jump out of that pile. So I would try to write ideas that weren't, I was like, this can never be produced, but it at least from page one is not going to be two friends move in with a, a girl they just met or, you know, so-and-so moves back home with their parents or, right. you know, like the same kind of setups that you see a million times. Uh, so that was what I aimed to do. And so the first Specs River was called Crab Boat, and it was a sitcom set on a crab boat in the Alaska oh, wow. Uh And it was like a father-son thing, but it was set um, there. Uh, cool. And then the second one I wrote that got me a lot of a lot of attention and jobs was called Meet the Romneys, and it was about the Romney family after Mitt Romney had lost, uh, and he doesn't know what to do with his life, um, and so he adopts a little black girl, uh, oh, and, wow. and doesn't tell his family that he did it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, so that I just so I wrote that and uh, that I like I said is like yeah. was different enough that people paid attention to it.
1: When you write something like that, are you like nervous? That, like, oh, this could be a colossal waste of time if, like,
2: yeah, I mean, all spec scripts are yeah, yeah. <laughs> to some degree, yeah. that, but if, especially if no one likes it. But uh-huh. the what I try to do is like take a big premise like that, but then write it exactly. as grounded and as like this is a real TV show as I can. So it's not a parody, uh, you know what I mean? It's it is like these are real characters and this is how I would write on a show, but just the premise is big. Uh, and I kind of like that anyway, just in general. I like big premise stuff that then the characters are real. So, um, so it, you know, it worked luckily (laughs) (laughs) people liked it. Uh,
1: what was the writer's room like at broad city?
2: Very small. Um, and really fun. Like there's Abby and Alana are great and know exactly what they want. And Paul and Lucia, Paul Downs and Lucia and yellow, uh, are a huge part of that show as well. and, so I felt like I kind of just like fit it. I was just like, hey, I'm here with you guys. Uh, and it was really, it was a lot of like in the room writing and uh, very, very just like group written scripts and that kind of stuff. It was really fun.
1: How does that work when it's like a bunch of people writing the script together?
2: There's like someone on a keyboard and, yeah. you know, I mean, it's technically it's rewriting, but a lot of the scripts were, the first drafts were like barely first drafts. I and see. so we really would be like writing it together.
1: hmm that was a show with with a really specific voice. How yeah. would you write to that?
2: Uh, I and it's and they're also much younger than me. So I I made a I joked when I was there that I felt I knew how Mark Twain felt writing Jim the slave, <laughs> like going like I bet he talks like this. Uh, but, so there was a lot of, but a lot of it is just like on any show. I think you're kind of absorbing the voice of the show and the voice of the showrunner, and then trying to feed into that. And so you are kind of learning that that vocabulary. Like, I've jumped around on a lot of different types of shows. Mm -hmm. And one thing I really like, and this is something that I think is why I felt like I was good. I was The parts that I was good at being artistic director at UCB that I think I was good at is that I'm pretty good at going like, oh, I see what you're doing. Here are some ways that I think can help you do that better instead of, well, what I would do if this were me is and change your comedic thing. Like, I really like going like, oh, I get the kind of comedy you're doing. What if this? What if this? What if this? What if this? Uh, and so getting to go to these different types of shows, like Broad City was like, okay, I see what we're doing. I don't want to change that. I just mm-hmm. want to try to go bring what I think is funny and interesting to what you're already doing, mm-hmm. which is kind of what you're doing when you're in any room on a show.
1: Right. that makes sense.
2: Because it's not your job to ch- try to change the show.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, you wrote on the Wet Hot American Summer yeah, television yeah. shows. How did yeah. you, you get that job?
2: That was, uh, I literally just went in for an interview. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know um, those guys at all. I mean, I knew of them, obviously. And I think probably when I was a sixth director, I think Stella had done some stuff, but I didn't really know them. But I, uh, I went in and met, and uh, luckily they hired me, and I really was, like Wet Hot, the movie, was like a formative movie for me. It was like one of those brain expanding things of like, Oh my God, I didn't know you could do that. Uh, and so to get to be in a room with David Wayne and Michael Showalter was so crazy to me (laughs) when I was first sitting in that room, I was like, this is so weird that I've like idolized these guys. And now I'm in a room with them is was, it was so insane. Uh, and now I've worked with Showalter on a few shows and I, I just love so much working with him. Mm -hmm. I think he's just so smart and so funny and so much fun to work with. So, that has just been an amazing dream come true.
1: Do you, when you go work on a show with like a bunch of people you respect, uh, and it's also got like a cult fan base and people are like heavily anticipating (laughs) the new thing. Is that like kind of a nervous experience a little bit?
2: It is. I mean, there, I felt like I keyed in right away to, to that, to what they were doing, uh, and had just so much fun getting to write that kind of comedy. Um, especially coming off like, kind of other voices like that is like what i think is funny and gutenberg is kind of a similar mentality of just like hitting these big tropes and mm-hmm. playing them straight and that's what's funny about it <clears throat> and so i think like i just keyed into that right away and then they know that what they want and what that whole thing is and so you just trusted show walter and wayne like they know they're both so smart and funny mm-hmm. like there was no doubt of like can th- can we do this it was like yeah they can do it <laughs> yeah did you uh did they know immediately like what they wanted to do
1: with the show in terms of like the story or was that like a no lot
2: of... they had a lot of ideas for characters uh mm-hmm. and that first season we wrote very different we didn't write it episodically we wrote it by storyline so like you were assigned character storylines oh, for okay. like the entire season arc uh and that so we wrote them like that and then put them into episodes uh oh. we the second season was written a little more normal like episodically but the the first season was really written like that, and it was it was very cool. It made the storylines clear, uh, and you, and everyone kind of like would you'd work on a storyline and then switch and take someone else's and rewrite it. And, uh, wow! It was a it was a, it was a cool experience like that. And then I got to write uh, a stupid musical. Uh, we wrote this there's this musical oh, in the yeah. first season called Electro City, right? Yeah. Uh, and I wrote <laughs> most of that, um, and uh, so that was super fun.
1: So when you say you wrote in like the storylines, would you it would take? each person would like write the story then you'd like switch it off and stuff and then you'd combine it all into like the an episode script
2: yeah then we'd like put it into oh. episodes and kind of go these beats of this story happen in this episode and uh I did a that's, that's one thing I did a lot of in the first season was figuring out how it could all kind of fit together uh-huh. and feel like uh, satisfying episode to episode
1: was that done uh for writing reasons that they wanted to do that or was that done for like the filming schedule I'm sure it was crazy no it was all writing
2: reasons cause, yeah. cause we wrote it all before it got shot mm-hmm. uh and then, at that time, there was still a question of, like, is everyone going to come back or not? Right. <clears throat> but then everyone did, and it was, you know... That production is insane. Because oh, sure. people are not available, and mm-hmm. David does an incredible job, like, making it feel like they're all in the same room when a lot of those people never were. <laughs> yeah.
1: In, in, in a show like that, how much are you thinking about paying off the, like, emotional arcs and stuff like that?
2: In Wet Hot, it was interesting, because I went in thinking that that didn't matter at all, right. But... Show Walter, especially, was very much like, this is important. Like, it, you have to care about these characters or it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. And that was like a cool lesson to learn of like, even in the dumbest. I mean, what is so great about Wet Hot is it's so stupid. But even in that, you have to have these real character moments or no one's going to keep watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was like a very cool thing to learn from him in that.
1: When you come back for like a second season of a show.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh,. Does it? Do you feel like you have like more uh, seniority in the room, or does that change anything?
2: Um, it depends, I guess. Like, in a lot. Some of the shows I actually did get more seniority, so yes. But the there's been like sometimes you have the pressure of like, oh god, like we had a good first season. What is the second season going to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and there's that pressure. And then, and sometimes so you're like, and then you have more to satisfy and more that the audience has expects, and you know how to satisfy that, but not be. Predictable, and so there's there's those kind of pressures, but it's always exciting when you're like people like it. That means we're only here because it worked, right? (laughs) So that's it's kind of you have like the wind behind you when you come in for a second Mm -hmm. season.
1: After the first season, did you have uh, specifically what hot? Did you have like ideas that you wanted to do for the second season? Uh,
2: I mean, I knew that the plan was to do the ten years later, so that and that we were going to kind of do this like reunion movie trope. Um, so so once. Once that was the plan, then you started, like, generating a yeah. lot of ideas of, like, oh, it'd be fun to do this, it'd be fun mm-hmm. to do that. But so much of that comes from Joe Walter. Right. Uh, like, he really has... That's such his baby that... And with David, that it uh, a lot of that stuff comes from him.
1: But besides the different writing style, what was, like... Were there, like, a, many differences between the first and second season? Of Wet Hot? Yeah. Uh,
2: not really. I mean, it's the same insane... <laughs> Like yeah. it's just too many characters yeah. <laughs> and they can't interact all the time because of, you know, because of schedule. And so they have to run in their own lanes and it's, it's weird. That's what, that's the challenge of that show. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, and then coming up with stuff that is satisfying and, but still wet hot. Uh, the second season was a little tougher in that because I think for the first season, they already had a lot of ideas for all of it. And the second season was a little more like, there's it's now wide open because it's 10 years later where when it was the prequel, it was like, well, we know where they have to be in eight weeks, uh, character wise. But with the sequel, it was a little more wide open.
1: What's like the style of a good wet hot joke.
2: Oh man. I think it is that, uh, my favorite kind of wet hot joke Because some of them are a little like airplane jokes, like or Zuckerberg or Zucker brothers jokes. Mm -hmm. were just kind of just like big broad dumb things, which I think are funny. But my favorite kind of wet hot joke is when, it's a serious, what, what in a drama would be a serious scene yeah. and it is played straight, but ridiculous. Mm. Like the things that people are saying are, are set are so ridiculous, but played completely straight. Mm-hmm. That That's my favorite kind of wet hot joke.
1: And and you wrote on a search party. I did. Yeah. How, how'd you get that gig?
2: <clears throat> so I met Sarah Violet and Charles on the first season of wet hot. Uh, and so they sold that show and asked me to come on that. And, uh, which was awesome. It was so much fun to work on. Totally different tone uh, and style. But it was really hard because it was a mystery. Um, And then there's a meta element, which I won't give away. But if you've seen it, there's a reveal at the end of the season that kind of recontextualizes the whole season. And so Mm. breaking all of that story was really hard. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) But a really fun challenge.
1: Is that like a, a show where you spent more time on the story than most shows? Or Yeah,
2: we spent a ton of time. And then things happened also in the course of it that we had to redo a lot of things. And it was super challenging. But I think Sarah Violet and Charles are... They just have such a strong voice and a and point of view on the world. And they I think they're so smart. And so it was really fun to get to like play in, in their point of view. It was really great.
1: It was like... Um... That ending was that planned from like the very beginning of the room? Yep. Wow. So it was was
2: figuring out how to earn it uh, and make it, you know, land in the right way.
1: Wow. So when you're dealing with like a mystery, uh, are there certain, like, I don't know, like, how do you do that? It was tough. It's only,
2: I mean, especially a comedy mystery is really hard. Yeah. uh, Because in general, if you don't know what's going on, it's hard for it to be funny. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Because there's no setup for the joke. Uh, But. That was so that was tricky is like making that feel real and not too silly, but also be funny and you know, surprising. And so that was that's why it was so hard to break. It was mm-hmm. like really tough to figure out the right what was too much and what was not enough right. on that show.
1: And you wrote on uh season two, yes, which they're filming right now, yes, Man. yes,
2: it'll come out in November.
1: Uh, did you um did, it ever, did you already kind of have an idea of where it was going to start?
2: Well, we knew there was unfinished business at the end of season one. Uh, and so we knew we wanted to deal with that and take it seriously. And so, but we also, there was a, a little bit of ideas, but a lot of those went out the window uh, once we all got in the room. And uh, I'm excited. I'm super excited for this new season. It's very different from season one. It's like a different kind of, if season one was a mystery, I think season two is kind of like a paranoia story. Interesting. Okay. Uh, like more of like a Hitchcock kind oh, of vibe cool um oh, like in season one they even the advertising was kind of like nancy drew
1: right a little
2: bit uh which was not the idea but that was a fun thing to play into for the advertising uh but this second season is very like hitchcockian a little bit and just like the fear of being caught and that kind of stuff oh, uh, is is very much at the forefront so it's uh it's funny it's like so much of that show is when you're talking about it you're not even talking about comedy <laughs> you're talking about like Actual like almost dramatic ideas, and then the characters are what make it comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but which I think is really fun. So.
1: Yeah. Did writing mm-hmm. for uh, Broad City help you out on writing for this show with like kind of a younger voice?
2: It's such a different voice. Yeah. That's um, true. <clears throat> to me, like uh, Broad City, to me, yes, it is about millennials and that kind of stuff. But it to me is really about Abby and Alana, right? Uh, and their kind of weird take on the world, where I think search party is saying a little more about the, that generation and, and Sarah Val and Charles have such a, to me, love hate relationship with who they are in, as a generation. <laughs> uh, and they are of that generation that, and they, they they just observe it so well that I think that it makes it really different.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and you've been a writer on playing house now for yes. like, uh, all Since the, seasons. the beginning, all yeah. the seasons. Yeah. And then I, I was there, I ran the room the last two seasons. So,
1: how did had uh, you get that job? Uh,
2: well, Lennon and Jess, I had worked with on Best Friends Forever, and so when Playing House started, they hired me. And um,
1: when you're starting a, a show with like the same two people, how do you make that different from the?
2: Well, the show? premise of Playing House, I think, is yeah. so much better than Best Friends Forever. Oh yeah. Well, Best Friends Forever, the premise was that uh, a gr- uh, two best friends, yeah. the um, uh, Jessica's character. Uh, moves in with I think she gets she gets divorced I think uh, she find, and then she moves in with her best friend and her boyfriend and so she was kind of like uh, a thorn in that relationship because like she's the new thing and mm-hmm. so it made Jessica's character not that likable because they were actually a good couple right. where in Playing House the idea is that uh, Lennon finds out her husband is cheating on her at a baby shower And so, when her friend Jessica moves home, it's to help her take care of the or raise the baby, uh, and help her through this this bad thing, rather than a happy relationship that's being screwed up by your friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, it's just a better premise, uh, and and made them both much more likable. So it was a lot more, and it was a lot easier to write for because of that.
1: How important is likability in comedy? I don't,
2: I don't think you have to be a likable character. There's like, I mean, one of my, I love Eastbound and Down and Danny McBride's character. Kenny uh, Powers is horribly unlikable, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but you, if you're going to be unlikable, you have to understand what they're, the logic behind what they're doing so that it doesn't just seem like, God, why would anyone be around this person? Mm-hmm. Like you have to see what makes it gives them charisma or whatever. Uh, and so I think if you're going to be unlikable, you have to have that. And we didn't have that in investment. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's why it didn't do well. I think best friends forever just we like premiered in april and right. to no fanfare <laughs> and yeah. we were i think it was dune before it started but the um uh, <clears throat> the playing house is like the little show that could it just keeps going yeah. did so.
1: did the writing side of things feel different from um best friends forever immediately uh yeah
2: just because the room was was i think better oriented and i think lennon and jessica had more sense of how to run a tv show and right. how, to, how to do all that so uh and especially as we've It's been really great for me. I owe them so much because they said they gave me my first job. And then uh, I have gotten to move up to like co-executive, executive executive producer level because of working on their show. So um, so as the seasons went on, I got to do much more of like just helping them like make that show and Mm -hmm. run the room and uh, crack the stories and stuff. So
1: when you uh, when you run the room, what do you what do you look to do?
2: I like a, I mean, I love breaking story and I feel like I have like a pretty good sense of story. So I, um, to me, you're just like trying to just keep everyone pointed and pitching in the right directions once you kind of know where you want to go. Uh, and I think, I think like a silent room is a dead room. And so Mm. you want a room where everyone feels like their ideas are respected. And even if there aren't where you go, that there's a lot of just building off of people's ideas and not shutting people down. It's a like, lot like improv, like you're just yes-anding each other. Right. I mean, you you have to know but a little more because you have to make something coherent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. um, but if you if the room's in sync with each other, you don't have to do a lot of that because everyone knows where you're going. Mm. So, <laughs> uh,
1: when you uh, run the room, you, you're also involved like in the hiring of writers. Right? Yeah, I have been. Yeah, uh, what do you like look for in a in a spec? Is it kind of the same thing that you were doing with spec? Yeah,
2: similar as like you know a sense that the person has a comedic voice and has an interesting view of the world. And then they can also like structure a story that they understand where comedy should come from in a TV show. And, and they understand story structure and momentum and that kind of, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even if it's not perfect that you can just feel that they have it in their bones, Right. especially if you're just looking for like a staff writer. Um, If you are looking for a higher person, you want someone (laughs) who clearly knows what they're doing, but.
1: Uh, this season, there's like uh, very personal storylines from yeah. uh, from the the creators. How do you uh, how do you work with that?
2: I really encourage them to do that, and they struggled with it because it was uh, Jessica had breast cancer, and they were struggling with whether they wanted to put that in the show or not because they would have to kind of relive <laughs> a lot of it. Because the way that show gets written is kind of different from any other show I've worked on, where we will break the story. But then uh Jessica and Lennon like to go into a room and improvise the each scene. Oh wow. And so when you go to script, you have like sometimes two or three improvised versions of the scene uh to pull jokes and runs from as you go in a structure. Like you can't just put them into the script because it, again it's flabby and doesn't work, but it gives you a real good sense of like what they think is funny about the moment. And, and even some jokes that you could, that you can put in uh, and just the way they banter with each other. Cause a lot of that, that shows about kind of how they talk yeah. to each other. And so, uh, but because of that, they had to literally relive horrible moments from yeah. literally a year earlier uh, of going through breast cancer. And so it was very emotional. There was a lot of crying. Uh, yeah. And uh, so it was, it was tough in that way, but I'm really proud of how we pulled it together because it, I think is a take on cancer that I haven't seen before and that it's not, there was never a question of like, is she going to die and we aren't playing that melodrama. It was more of just like what it's like to have your friends help you through it and to be a friend who's trying to support someone who's going through something terrible right. when you can't control it, uh, which I hadn't really seen before. And so mm-hmm. it was, that was a very cool thing I think to get to be able to do.
1: So they, they, <clears throat> they improvise kind of each scene. Yeah. And then you guys like film it and then use it back to no
2: they record we record it Uh uh, so you can listen to it as well when you go to go off to script Um, and uh, because usually like on most TV shows when you go to script you have a pretty fleshed out outline that the room has kind of and the showrunner has signed off on and then you go off and write a script Uh and so this is just like an added layer of like you also have their take on the moment uh, but which is usually directed like when I have a script I'll go like I think we need this to be played in it uh we need to make sure we hit this turn and then they'll improvise it and you'll like i said you can't just put it in as a transcription right. but it you have a little bit of a sense of like oh they want to come into it this way and because they also act it and they actually play the roles you want to write toward that because they're going to have to do it on set and so you want to kind of have that and so it's i've never been on another show that works that way but it was uh it's a very fun way to to write TV.
1: It actually makes like a ton of sense to do yeah. it that way. Cause yeah. then you have like the jokes like in their voice already.
2: Yeah. And then like you're, I would, I'll go in to play like some of the other characters, like Keegan Michael Keyes on there. And so in the improvs, I'm usually him <laughs> or like Zach Woods or we'll switch yeah, and yeah. I'll play Lennon and she'll play, you know, Keegan. like, so there's a lot of that going on too.
1: Uh, and you are also a writer on wrecked. Yes. Yeah. Uh, season, two, season two, season two. did you get that job?
2: Uh, so, i um chris Kula, who i'm friends with from UCB, wrote on season one and they were looking for someone to come in there they had kind of their showrunner didn't work out after season one and so they wanted someone to come in and help them run it uh and he recommended me and i went in and met and those guys the shipley brothers are just the greatest guys they are these two mid- young mid- midwestern guys who like mm-hmm. the first thing they wrote was this and they sold it and it's great and they're really funny they have no ego like it's mm-hmm. it's awesome uh and that's another show that's like a totally different style of comedy yeah, <laughs> from yeah. like playing house or search party or or even it it's closer to wet hot but it's not quite as ripping it all apart as wet hot yeah <laughs> so uh but really fun to to write on
1: when you get hired on a show that's uh had a season that you weren't a part of do you like um how do you like like get ready for that job do you like
2: So, I mean, obviously read everything from season one and watch it all and know it. uh, But also, like, I was trying to figure out, like, just feel out what happened with the showrunner from season one because, again, like, I feel like my job is to help them make their show. Uh, I don't have any ego in it, but, except that I, you know, want it to be good, but but making sure that relationship is good because so many shows, creators get paired up with a showrunner and then that relationship sucks and then it's a battle of whose show is it uh, and if you can avoid that, it's better. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it's figuring out that relationship, but also in just figuring out like what they think is funny. And then what I think that what they think is funny actually works with story and what doesn't and figuring out what the studio wants and just kind of balancing all of that.
1: Were there any differences in, uh, running this room than with playing house?
2: Uh, it's just a totally different yeah. uh, vibe. I mean, Lennon and Jessica, that shows so much about who they really are and their mm-hmm. cores, uh, and so you're really servicing that and you can't violate that, where Wrecked is like the characters are just much more broadly comic. Uh, and it's, it's also an ensemble show. I mean, it's, a, it's got a really big cast where Playing House is, a, every story is about Lennon and Jessica or their characters. Uh, and so that, I hadn't really written that before where it was like, oh, we have seven characters we need to service in every episode. Uh, And that is a a very different way of thinking about story when it's not just like, well, we have our two main characters and that's who the stories are going to be about every week. It's like now we have like, oh, how do we pair these people off and balance them and keep it over the course of 10 episodes, making it feel like it's all a coherent story. But no one's everyone's getting enough screen time and enough Mm -hmm. interesting things to do. Uh, That was a fun and I think we did pretty well. <laughs> we, there's some things that didn't, that got some short shrift, <laughs> but you only have so much time. Right. Do you uh,
1: like writing for like a, a set location that you're kind of with all the time?
2: What do you, what do you mean?
1: Like the island on the... Oh,
2: well, we we left the island in season two. <laughs> oh, I haven't, I haven't caught up yet. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, in the middle of the season, I wrote the, the episode where they leave the island. So oh, man. we, uh, yeah, we made that choice. We were like, it's obviously kind of single camera Gilligan's Island, uh-huh. but we are like, what if they do leave? Uh, wow. And so, I mean, I won't say what happens. The show doesn't end, mm-hmm. but, uh, but we did get them off the island because, which was, and I give TBS credit because they could have been like, what are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you can't do that. Uh, but we, we, uh, we thought it was, a. F- I mean, they ended season one with these pirates arriving. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was like, well, what do we do with those pirates? And TBS kind of at first were like, we wished we didn't have these pirates, uh, <laughs> but it was kind of like, but we do. And so we had to try to figure out a way to keep it the same show, but also deal with this new thing of there these pirates with guns on the island. Yeah, and yeah. what do you do with that? Uh, and figuring out how much that was what was interesting is like, is it Gilligan's Island or is it, does it have more real story to it? Mm-hmm. And figuring that out was really fun.
1: So What's, like, that conversation, like, where you're like, I think we should leave the island? Is that, like, a crazy, like, is everyone yeah. like, no? but
2: then. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of back and forth of, like, is this yeah. crazy to do? Uh, and we'll see if people like it or not. <laughs> like, uh, the first episode post-Island just aired mm-hmm. uh, as we're recording this. But the – and so, again, I won't say what happens. But there's – it's it's it was fun to feel we would, like, when the episode where they all left to look on, like, Twitter and see people going, like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, wow. What is going to happen? So, uh, but then there was a giant jump in the ratings for the first episode after they left oh. the island. So I think maybe it made people really want to see what was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, so that was cool. Well,
1: I think people are so used to shows that always tease that, like, oh, we're you know, especially like a show like on an island, like we're going to get off the island. Yeah. And so it's good. It's kind of good just to get that. That's mean way. Gilligan's
2: Island. They were always about to leave the island. Yeah. They never did, and and I we really don't want it to be Gilligan's Island. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's part of it.
1: Uh, and you're currently working at Silicon Valley. Yes. How'd how'd you get that job? Uh,
2: again, I just met on it, uh, and got hired. Um, that I, this is, I don't know. I never, I didn't know anyone on the show, uh, when I got hired, which I've never, I think I've ever worked on a show where I literally knew no one. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's season five. So they all know each other very well for the most part. Not everyone there has been there on every season, but everyone, there's only one other person who's brand new. Uh, and he knows everyone. so um, so it's been a little uh, daunting in that way. It's like yeah. I just it's just a new experience to kind of walk into a machine that's already running and go, where do I fit in- into yeah. this? Uh, it's been it's been interesting.
1: When you work on on a show mm-hmm. that's like specifically about something like the tech industry, yeah, like do you like jump in with like a lot of research on that or? tons of research? yeah.
2: Uh, and it's hard because, you know, when you're trying to pitch story and you don't understand what they're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tricky. Uh, <clears throat> so a lot of research. We also have uh, two tech experts in the room. Okay. So anytime we hit anything, we can ask them, like, they're from, they know Silicon Valley. And so both the business side and the tech side, we can kind of ask things. And we even went on a research trip. We went to Seattle a couple of weeks ago and, like, went to Amazon and went to a bunch of other companies oh, wow. and, like, interview people about what's going on in tech and kind of how it all works so there's a they that show is very authentically true to uh, the, the subject matter like they they really want it to feel as real as possible so uh, there's a lot of research what,
1: what's like a, a typical day like at uh, Silicon Valley
2: I mean it's most it's like any other room you yeah. know just kind of in the room bashing your head against it but I think that show the plotting is very intricate uh, it is very much about the plot and the story, like, you, and a lot of shows, like, well, if it's funny for a character to do something, you'll figure out a way to do it, and that's not how that show works, that show is story first, yeah. uh, and it needs to be, have a comic engine, but also be real, Mm -hmm. and really have, everything's very tightly wound, and so the breaking of story is is tricky, Uh, Mm -hmm. but in a a way, that's really fun, and Mm -hmm. and is a real, I mean, we're just starting, writing the season, Mm so we'll see how far we, how it goes, but uh, it's been fun to kind of be in that new mindset. And, and you joined the
1: show as, like, uh, T.J. Miller, one of the main characters left. Yes, yeah. What's, like, the experience of, like, uh, okay, did they kind of, when you, <clears throat> by the time you got there, did they kind of know what they wanted to do?
2: No, we're still figuring it out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, they knew he was going to be gone. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, obviously, Ehrlich is a pretty popular character. Yeah. <laughs> People love that character. So I think it's just figuring out kind of, like, wh- he. It, by the time he had been, he had gone off, in my opinion, having been someone just watching it, his storylines kind of weren't connected to the main story anyway anymore. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's not that hard to have it. It's not like Peter Gregory when that actor died after season one, where he was so intricate. uh, And that was such a surprise that that was, I think, harder to figure out with TJ. I think it's just like, there's a comic engine there that's not there anymore. Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Each show you've worked on has been like pretty wildly different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why do you think that is? Or how do you think that is? or
2: I don't know. I mean, I feel very lucky that I've gotten to do that uh, yeah. because that is, I think I love it so much that I get to, cause like last year I went, I worked on four shows last year. Uh, and so I was in a room almost the entire year without a break. <laughs> and yeah. so if they had not been wildly different, I don't think I could have done it. Interesting. Cause okay. I think my brain would have just like atrophied. Uh, yeah. But because I was going from like playing house to wet hot, to wreck to search party. It's just so, they are so radically different that it, it was just like, Oh, I get to turn on this part of my brain. Now I right. think in this other way. Uh, and I said, I, that is, I think the thing that I like the most about being in a room is, is getting on into the kind of flow of the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's, it is abnormal, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh looking at other people's careers. Uh, but I, I feel super lucky that I got, Mm -hmm. that I've gotten to do it.
1: You mentioned you worked in four four rooms last year. Yeah. I think you've like three shows currently out right now. Pretty much. That's right. I do actually.
2: Yeah. Playing house wrecked and wet hot are all, all all airing
1: right now. Uh, How do you get so much consistent work in this like volatile industry?
2: I mean, I said it's, some of it is just luck. uh, And like shows I've worked on have come back for multiple seasons and they, uh, and people have been luckily flexible, like both, wet hot and search party let me start late because i was on other shows i was on playing house and wrecked respectively so that was very nice because a lot of times you can't work out the schedules and Mm -hmm. they they made it work um so i i said i just feel super lucky (laughs) that (laughs) that i've gotten to do it so uh
1: what would you like to be doing next
2: um i mean i don't think too far into the future to be honest just because i try to just keep a bunch of balls in the air like i um, you know, while I've been doing that, I've also developed, I developed a pilot for HBO last year that didn't go. And I'm I'm about to take out another show. So I want to do my own show at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also really just like, I'd like to be thought of as like the showrunner that people are like, Oh, let's put Anthony on that show to help them figure it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'd like to be. So, you know, that's what I'm working towards. Um, cause I, I feel like that's, uh, the thing that I, is the most fun to me. So, but I would like to do my own thing as well. So, mm-hmm. Um, and then in the next year, Beetlejuice is hopefully going to start taking oh, up yeah. more of my time. So I don't know how I'm going to balance all of that. Cause I have to be in New York. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: okay. So we're going to wrap up with, uh, you giving your thoughts on something I wrote. This is a sketch pitch. Okay. Um, I'm going to basically pitch you the sketch. Okay. All right. So it's a commercial for the, for an iPhone. And so, you know, it's the, the classic, like the commercial has, uh, like the woman asking to play, playing like a Siri, play a song. Uh huh uh somebody using apple pay uh using their phone to count their steps but so i would want all those moments in the commercial but then right before you like cut away you get like a it's a push notification comes up and like oh donald trump just did something bad like and it's just like each one is just like the breaking news Uh uh-huh and then that's like the commercial for the iphone was all these like the push notifications i guess is kind of the selling point I don't know. I wish I had a tagline because that would really make the whole thing come together. But So that's basically the idea.
2: So the game of it is like it's all the things that iPhone does, but then they get interrupt. all things you like about your iPhone, yeah. but they get interrupted by a push notification from Donald Trump.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be Donald Trump. It's like breaking bad news. Probably Donald Trump. Yeah, like, right, yeah. right. But
2: just bad news, the push notifications. Yeah. Can you turn off push notifications?
1: I think you can, yeah.
2: Um, my My thought on it would be yeah. that it should be – you're showing all that, but then the, the twist at the end is that it is an ad for like an old flip phone. Okay. <laughs> it's really, Oh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. And so it's actually like, that's what the commercial is for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, Oh, that's great. Actually go yeah. back to your flip phone. Uh, <laughs> because, uh, you can't avoid the, you, oh, you, want yeah. to, you want to avoid the world, go back <laughs> to before. Uh, but, uh, I think that's funny. That's a funny pattern to play. Yeah. Uh, of like just doing the like I assume in the in the mold of like that kind of like feisty music playing and we're seeing right. the, the pretty people with the sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, doing all the uh I think that's a funny idea. All right, cool.
1: I like that twist. Yeah, that's <laughs> good. Uh, all right, thanks for coming out here. Do you have anything yeah, you want to plug? Uh
2: well like I said RECT is airing right now on TBS, uh and uh Playing House is on USA and also on demand. And Wet Hot just hit Netflix, Wet Hot ten years later. Um, and uh, first day of summer, or first, is that what it's called? First day of camp is also on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in November, search party will come out uh, on TBS as well. Cool. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Borlock Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow on Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week!